There's no problem too big or small, no issue too hot or cold, and no subject these gentlemen won't talk about. Let's head into the lab to see what they're working to figure out today. Welcome to Figure It Out. This is George Grumbacher, and we've got an awesome show for you coming up. This week, Centauri and I were joined by Dr. Oliver Ross. Oliver is an attorney, a PhD, a writer, and the founder of Out of Court Solutions, a divorce mediation company. We had a great conversation that went into the practice of contentment, contentment versus happiness, and training our brains in order to develop an appreciation, state of mind, and the benefits that that carries with it. You can find more information about Oliver at Out of Court Solutions, as well as practicecontentment.com. I highly encourage you to check it out. Thanks as always for listening. Remember to tell a friend. That's enough about that. Let's go. Well, let's get into it and get down to it. Welcome to Figure It Out. This is George Grumbacher. Joining me as always is Centauri Minor. Hello, folks. Centauri and I certainly believe in life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, but as it turns out, we may be doing it all wrong. Here to help us figure that out and move from awareness to action is uh, Dr. Oliver Ross. How are you, sir? I'm well, thank you. Appreciate you uh, spending some time with us today. Um, I explained a little bit about Dr. Ross in the uh, in the introduction, but one of the things we wanted to start with was um, Oliver focuses or writes about the practice of contentment. I actually live it. Okay, even better. Yeah. So, How did you get started with that? Well, I guess about six, seven years ago, I kind of lost track of the time. It's really not important. It occurred to me that whenever I felt any degree of discontent, whether it was mild annoyance to deep depression, and, I, and any all points in between, if I just took a moment and kind of searched back in my mind, what was the thought that preceded that feeling of discontent? Invariably, without question, it always related to wanting more better or different of someone or something, whether it was in the past or whether it was in the future. It always related to wanting more, better, or different of someone or something. And so I started um, keying in on that and really concentrating every time I did feel upset with my wife or upset with myself for not doing as well and something that I thought I should have, you know, judging myself. Um, and any other time when I felt any degree of discontentment, um, I started practicing ferreting out the thought that preceded it. And again, without question, it always related to wanting more, better, or different of somebody or something. For example, wanting more, better, different of, of my childhood. My parents, you know, wanting them to have treated me more, better, differently, mm -hmm. right? Or in the future, wanting more, better, different clients in my, pra in my mediation practice. Or even when I used to practice law, more, better, different cases, more, better, different clients, um, more, better, different accumulations, you know, of money, of, of material things. It always related to that, whether it was in the past or in the future. So what I realized was I was robbing myself of the present. 
because I was focused on what I didn't get or thought I should have gotten in the past or what I wanted to get or I didn't get, you know, in today or tomorrow. Right. So, um, and I thought to myself, man, that's a, that's a really waste. Here I'll, you know, and I've been going, and I think that most people go through life all about their thoughts are pre predominantly about the past and the future and what they didn't get in the past or might not get in the future. So it really rang true for me, and my habit is to write about things. I like to write, um, and um, so I started writing about it. And the, uh, the first year I started writing, and then I uh, turned around, I don't know, months later, and I looked at what I wrote, and I went, this is really, you know, not good. It was really crap. <laughs> <laughs> so I put it away. Next year, but yet I, I this, 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 uh, how should I say, mindset of always reverting to the past and the future about what I got or didn't get um, and wanted more, better, different of um, stayed with me. And so the next year I started writing again and the same thing happened. I turned around, whether it was three, five, six months later and said, <laughs> you know, Third year, same thing. Fourth year, what I realized was I actually wasn't living the practice of contentment. Mm -hmm. I, so then I started to write, and it became it, it. It had life to it. It had energy to it. And so it took me uh, the next three years to um, write the book, uh, the practice of contentment, how to acquire natural wealth, because. Um, Aristotle defined contentment as natural wealth. Um, and so um, that's how the book came about. It's a work in process. I don't consider it done at all. Uh, I have a blog. I, lately, I haven't paid that much attention to the blog because I realized again that, that I got to give myself some more um, maturity in it. It's mm -hmm. got to develop even further for me to really contribute to the blog in a meaningful way. Um, and yet, um, I pra my practice is developing. In fact, I'll tell you that um, I have a, when I moved here to Arizona uh, 21 years ago, the same year I moved here, I was in this spiritual group, and um, I knew that at that time I wanted to develop male friendships um, because before I was very much workaholic and I didn't care about friendships that much at all, really. Um, but I, so I, another fellow and I started a men's group. And uh, we started off with four or five guys. It went up to 10 guys. Now it's down to like six guys. Uh, but we meet every other Tuesday. And we just met last Tuesday. So this has been going on almost 21 years. Wow. And we share intimately with each other. And not in a braggadocious way, but in a way when I was sharing about how this practice has just blossomed. It's just, it's, I talk about in the book developing a predominantly appreciative state of mind. That's what the practice is about. Because where to for, I used to have a predominantly unappreciative state of mind. 
So I didn't appreciate what I had. I was always focused on wanting more of it or different of what I didn't have, or at least my mind told me I didn't have. Um, now I'm now. It seems like with this practice, and really it's a short period of time, say three years, that I've actually been practicing contentment. I'm I can go along and like I was telling you fellows before I've had a little back problems and I'm still having some problems so like walking up the stairs I can't put one foot in front of the other I do one step at a time but I I'm able to appreciate that I can even walk upstairs mm -hmm. <clears throat> so it's it's just it's wonderful it's so it's so first of all it's so unexpected I mean I didn't expect to even have, even think of this notion, right? This 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 concept, this this practice, but it, it seems to be just generalizing. And I think my, I have, I think I have reached that tipping point, where I think actually my mind is predominantly appreciative, filled with predominantly appreciative thoughts, rather than predominantly unappreciative thoughts, because it's all about appreciation. Mm -hmm. It's all the practice of contentment. I could have called it the practice of appreciation hmm. just as well. So it's being, it's the gratitude. You know, when I, uh, years ago, um, I heard, uh, and had a, I, I'm not going to go into all the history, but I was with a, in a therapy group and um, there was a priest involved and the priest said, Gratitude is the highest form of prayer. And it doesn't matter what religion, right? So I'm really, um, I really cherish that I'm grateful, I, that I can appreciate all the things I have. Can you, to help our listeners wrap their minds around uh, contentment and appreciation, appreciation can you give some more kind of real-life examples of what that looks like in practice? So in your day-to-day, -day, tell me a little bit about how that your new mindset is different than how you would have been 10 years ago and something that happens in work or life or yeah, relationships. Yeah, it's, it's really moment by moment. Okay. So when I, when I realize, and I try and stay in tune with my feelings, so feelings are nothing more than bodily reaction to the mind, if you think about it really. Um they're a reflection of what's going on in our mind, right? So I try and be very aware of my feelings. But throughout the day, I'll be going along and uh, an unappreciative thought will slip into my mind. So right? give me an example of what that um, thought would be. Okay, so <laughs> let me think of... Um, oh, so this morning, I woke up and for some reason... Um, I thought about my younger brother, and we don't have a, a relationship. And it, 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 there's a lot of background involved, right? And I, and I thought about him in a negative way, right? And I quickly, and I, I could feel myself kind of tightening in my chest, and I quickly went to, oh, more, better, different. You want something more, better, different. You wanted in the past, actually him to treat you more, better, and differently, right? And, um, you know, I was able to quickly go, ah, 
but I appreciate that I am who I am and I have all I have. Because he wound, my parents wound up disinheriting me and leaving their entire estate to him. Hmm. So, you know, that, that, that type of, so instead of focusing on what I didn't get in the past, right, and, and disregarding all that I can appreciate about what I do have and I've made myself, right, uh, not only in money, but also I wouldn't want, I don't know him anymore, but I'm really happy with who I am. So I appreciate who I am. Does that help? That's really good. Yeah. Okay. It almost sounds to me like it's understanding what your true north is, which is this state of appreciation. Um, and we're all going to drift towards off of that. It's a matter of being cognizant of that and then bringing yourself back to correct, that true north. Correct. And you know, George, we're acculturated. I talk about this in the book. We're acculturated into more better, different thinking because look, you pick up any magazine, you watch any TV ad, any type of commercial advertisement is telling you the subliminal, subliminal message is you're not good enough unless you have such and such, right? That's what it's telling you. Instead of telling you the, to appreciate who you are and what you already have, it's telling you that unless you get this more, better, different thing in the future, you're not going to be good enough. So it's, it's really, when you look at it, it's really lowering your self-esteem. Every time you watch a commercial advertisement, the subliminal message is, you better get this, or you're not going to be as good as your neighbor or your brother, your sister, whatever it's going to be, right? And so it's really what's going to happen. I point out all the negative consequences in the book. But one of them is you're going to have low self-esteem because if you continuously don't get all these things they're telling you you should have, what's going to happen to your self-esteem? Do you think there's an opportunity for brands to use contentment in a positive way? So instead of saying what does not come from you, not purchasing our good, they can pivot that and use what you're thinking to really attract customers. Do you think that's possible or do you think... Gee, I never thought about that, but... Um... Or do you think we it, have inherently this, it's consumerism is against contentment? I think it is. Okay. I think it is. Yeah. Yeah. It's not sure. But I'd I have to think about that. Um, <clears throat> that's, that's, that's an interesting question. It, to a degree, um, a, lot of, a lot of our culture is, flies in the face of contentment. Mm -hmm. But that's not to say that this is something that that the practice of contentment is not in line with being ambitious. No, no. And Great point. Great point. So, yes. I mean, but for our... Well, let, let me preface this by saying, and then we'll come back to that. In addition to being acculturated into more, better, different thinking, unappreciative thinking, we're also our mind is actually structured that way. The mm -hmm. left side of our, our mind is built to categorize, to divide into good, bad, right, wrong, all these dualisms, right? That's the way it's structured, and it really serves a purpose because, but for that, that ability to distinguish, we wouldn't, we wouldn't have survived as a species, right? right? 
So not only are we acculturated, but our mind is, the left side of our brain is actually structured that way, to think that way. So there's nothing wrong with it. Look, look at all the advances in medicine, science, technology. But for more better different thinking, it's likely those advances wouldn't have come about, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But it's, it's like anything else. It's the degree to which. So that's why I say a predominantly appreciative state of mind. Because when you come from a, pro, a predominantly appreciative state of mind, you're able to be grateful for what you already have, right? In, in terms of yourself, as well as your possessions. And, you're, and at the same time, you're able to say, well, if I, like in my practice of mediation, if I'm a better mediator, that's going to help my clients, right? So it's that, it's that tipping point I talked about, mm -hmm. developing not, a, not an exclusively appreciative state of mind, but a predominantly appreciative state of mind. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. And I think that that's a really key thing because... <clears throat> Somebody could be listening to this and think, well, that's, that's, that's great, but what if I want to improve and, and what if right. I want nice things? And as long as you have that, yeah. that predominantly appreciative state of mind, then, 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 then it's good. There's so many, so many books and so much out there where people are trying to find happiness right. and their purpose. And it strikes me that a lot of the places that we're looking for that are outside of ourselves. Mm -hmm. we're trying external to, we're trying to fill that missing piece inside of ourselves which is a great shell silverstein book the missing piece um but mm -hmm. that's really probably never going to happen right that we will find our our contentment or happiness and by the way i distinguish between happiness to me using metaphors happiness is like riding the crest of a wave right oh man this is exhilarating this is exciting right Contentment is like slowly sinking into a warm bath. Ah. <laughs> okay. So I do make that distinction. Um, going to your question uh, about, uh, tell me again, I, it's, I lost my train of thought. <clears throat> People are looking for happiness and they're oftentimes looking for external. something external. Yeah. You know, I'll just say it. Happiness, contentment, inside job. It's an inside job. Um, it's, it's, first of all, becoming aware of, I'm going to call it an unappreciative or a more better different thought, right? But the first thing is becoming aware of the feeling that's attached to it, right? Mm -hmm. But becoming aware of the thought that w without awareness, we're blind, right? right? We don't know that we don't know. So the first thing is to, in the practice is to be diligent in being aware of these thoughts that you're having and not judge. So, so the next part is acceptance. And I was going to say, acceptance isn't about judging, right? Acceptance is about saying, Oh, you know what? I'm human. I've been conditioned by my culture to think in more, better, different terms. My mind, the left side of my brain is structured that way. So it's very human to have these thoughts, but to accept them with equanimity. In other words, to accept them without judgment, 
without comparison, without any type of um, pejor in any type of pejorative mm -hmm. terms, and then to move on to actions, actions that can reinforce the growth of a predominantly appreciative state of mind. So one of the actions that I there, there are several that I cherish, but one that I particularly cherish is every night, I've and I've developed this habit, say, within the last two years, um, every night when I'm falling asleep, my wife and I are spooning, and I'm consciously bringing to mind the things that I appreciate about myself and what occurred during the day. So I'm falling asleep, and I go, I really appreciate, and I don't use the word appreciation, but I just go through this mental mm -hmm. list, but I appreciate that I exercise this morning. I appreciate that I have this wonderful wife who loves me. I appreciate that I meditated today. Just things that I appreciate about myself and what occurred in my life, the, all the blessings, if you will, that I have instead of you know, laying there, I didn't get this today, she didn't do that today, you know, I want more, better, different of her, I want better car, I want a bigger practice, a bigger house, whatever it might be. So I consciously bring to mind a list of, appreci of appreciations, um, and within seconds I'm asleep. <laughs> <laughs> so for our listeners, um, you would say that a good practice is literally going through nightly or whatever that time is of the day and thinking about and being intentional about what you do appreciate to really get in the mindset of these are the things I appreciate about my life and making it a habit to do so. Right. Okay. So what I'm actually doing is, is developing new neural pathways in my brain. Hmm. Because um, neuroplasticity—it's you know—it's often spoke of today that our mind, that our brains are plastic. That means they're subject to being reformed. Mm -hmm. So when I'm in all the actions that I take during the day, when I'm falling asleep, um, I like if you look in my wallet. Um, every time I open my wallet, I have a little post-it that says appreciation. In my car, when I'm driving, wow. I, I have another little post-it by the, by the speed, uh, odometer, and it says appreciation. So I'll be driving along, and I'll have slipped into more better, different thinking, you know, <laughs> unappreciative thinking. Right. And then I'll look at that, and I'll look up, at, and here it is in Phoenix, you know, a lot of asphalt, right? But I'll look up, and I'll see some trees, and I'll, I'll go, Oh, it's so beautiful. Look at the sky. Huh. Look at the trees. That's a really easy thing for it's, folks to do. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But all of it, what I'm doing is, is building new neural pathways and at the same time allowing my old neural pathways, the unappreciative types, to decay. Because when they're not used, right, they're going to lose their strength and their size. I don't know that people, I know that up until a couple of years ago, I did not understand that, that you could actually change your brain. So when we're talking about neural pathways and neuroplasticity, that just means that you can actually train your brain to operate differently. Absolutely. Just and like at you any can age, George, at any age, huh. 
And you, I'm not saying this. I mean, the, the, the authorities right. say that. And you don't need to be, you don't need to do anything fancy to actually do that. It's just being intentional and constantly reminding yourself that's right. I, I should be more appreciative. Well, should is, I wouldn't even put the word should. I, I, for me, it's like, do I really want to spend the rest of my life discontent, mm-hmm. predominantly discontent? Yeah, I can get peaks, you know, uh, I can be happy about things, but that's, that's not very long Fleeting, right. It's like an itch, you know, I have an itch on my arm, I scratch it, it goes away. But then it comes back and I'll find another itch, you know, another part of my body or something like that. So content, this practice of contentment is, is a, uh, a deeper, has deeper value, if you will. It's natural wealth. Mm-hmm. So what I'm doing every time I practice contentment in these different ways, I'm not only changing the neural, the, the neural pathways in my brain, but I'm also developing a wealth of contentment. Why would I, why would I, and I said this to myself, why would I hurt myself by doing anything else than appreciating the moment, what I have, and in terms of myself, in, in, my, my mind, my feelings, my relationships, um, and my possessions. We are absolutely conditioned to seek happiness to treat the symptoms of being discontent, right? Yeah. Retail yeah. therapy. Yeah. Um, I'm bummed out. Instead of actually addressing the real issue, I'm just going to go buy something and get that little shot of dopamine that'll make me feel better. Or I go and eat some pizza, which always makes me happy, or I'll go and drink a beer, whatever yeah. it might be. And how long does that last? It's, it's very brief. Very fleeting. So you talked a little bit about... Um, uh, you said it all starts from the inside, so that's all well and good, but talk about contentment and interpersonal relationships. So contentment, if where you're practicing this, but your spouse or your best friend or your mm. boss or whoever it might be is not on the same page. How does that not become frustrating after a while? Um, well, because, it, because well, I'll t- in my mediation practice, for example, at some point or another when it's propitious, I'll tell clients, far be it for me to judge you, I haven't lived my life perfectly, okay? Because most of what I do is divorce mediation, and the you know, couple are going through a very difficult, conflictual, emotional time. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so I don't get into, I don't get frustrated with other people because it is an inside job, and I wouldn't be arrogant enough to even think that everybody has to do this Mm -hmm. you know it's it's like would i wish that everybody would would practice contentment sure because i think they'd be not only they but i think x it would grow exponentially and it could actually change and this sounds you know but it could change the world you know if we all but but uh, and there's plenty of other ways to, uh, to develop uh, to change the world. But um, I don't I don't get frustrated with other people because um, we all have our own paths and that they they are gonna do what they need to do for themselves uh, during this time on this this planet, and I'm doing what what 
is really um, enriching for me. Can you tell us a little bit more about the, um, what I also find fascinating, is your mediation practice? Yeah, yeah. So when I moved to um, here to Arizona 21 years ago, um, I practiced law in California for 19 years. I was a trial lawyer and totally workaholically. Um, and I built my firm from me to 48 lawyers, so it grew pretty large. Um, and uh, as I said before, friendships I didn't care about. If you couldn't do me any good in business. Uh, I know you swear. Yeah. And you know, I was all about making money and ego and, you know. Uh, and um, then what happened? I went through a divorce and I started becoming somewhat introspective. So I decided while I was still with my law firm to go back to school at night. And first I earned a master's in clinical psychology. And then I sold my interest in my law firm and took over the running of a family-owned business. Um, and um, I did that for five years. Um, and again, totally workaholically. But I also, at night, in addition to running this 300-employee company, I was going to school at night. So call me a workaholic, right? And by the way, I... I went to work all Anonymous for 14 years after that. But anyway, that's another story. Um, but uh, what happened was I got a PhD in human behavior psychology. Wow. Um, I uh, left the family business under very strange circumstances. Um, and um, we moved here to Arizona. And, I dis and so I, here I am. I've got my law degree, right? And I've got a PhD in psychology. And I thought, I have to, and what I vowed when coming here was that whatever I do in life from now on wouldn't be primarily about making money. Primarily, it would be about helping others. So um, I took a continuing legal education class called mediation. And from the get-go, I knew from the within the first several hours, I knew this is the kind of work I that should be doing. Do. Yeah. yeah. So, um, and I, at first I did workplace mediation, I did employment mediation, I did divorce mediation, and I realized that I think my my largest contribution, and actually the the one that had most meaning to me, was the uh, divorce mediation mm -hmm. because. I not only get to save the divorcing couple from that other process, you know, adversarial lawyers, the hostility, the tension, not to mention the cost of that other process, but I get to save the children from the fallout of that. So that's, that, that's what I do now for the last, you know, 21 years. I, I do product. I don't, in fact, I can't remember the last workplace mediation I've done. I mean, my passion is Couples. divorce mediation. Yeah, yeah. And some it's and we get into some, you know. I am very careful. Uh, I shouldn't say careful wouldn't be the word, but when the when it's right, I'll bring some of my, uh, some of my uh, how should I say uh, experiences with the practice of contentment and other areas of recovery from work addiction. Um, into the mediation because, you know, um, workaholism is a highly rewarded, and hi highly rewarded, and highly acclaimed addiction. Mm -hmm. Highly respected or reputed uh, addiction, 
Um, and then other disciplines. Uh, my PhD in human behavior science, uh, psychology, my emphasis was addictions. So, so many of the people I work with, work with in divorce mediation, you know, are have alcohol, uh, drug, relationship, uh, sex, work, all those addictions, right. process and substance addictions. Is that another, is that again the fault of trying to find happiness from the outside? Or is that, that's yeah, you know, an addiction, is, that's, that's different, but no, perhaps it's you not. Know, you know, George, I think there would be fewer divorces if people understood that their feelings of discontent are derived from their mind, from their thoughts. Because just think about it. If, if, I, if, if more people said, you know what? Instead of saying, oh, I'm going to divorce my wife because she, she, she's you know, not good at this or she's, I want her to be better at that or right. I want more of this from her. Um, if, they were, if they looked it within and said, you know what? I'm... This is all about my wanting, my expectations of someone else. There's a, there was a book uh, that was popular in the 90s, uh, Conversations with God. That was a triology, it was three volume. And supposedly God said, expectations are the greatest source of unhappiness. Mm. Yeah. And I believe that's true. It's my own expectations. So I think that if people even understood, didn't have to necessarily practice contentment, but understood and took responsibility for their own thoughts and the feelings that that their thoughts generate, that they might, they might, there might be fewer divorces. And that'd be a good thing. So how do we, you, these are all great things, but you, um, I wonder how does someone who is, you know, 30 or 40 years old who who has been conditioned, what is the first step to even getting their awareness, 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 simple awareness, just, just have making a commitment. And I read an an interesting book, um, last year about habits and basically the PhD psychologists did the research and it takes about 45 to 60 days to develop a habit according to this. And I, in my own life, I can see that, um, so if people would say, would realize, okay, I'm going to commit, or if they would commit to, I'm going to commit for the next 30 to 60 days, say 45 days, to really be aware of the thoughts that are behind my feelings, the thoughts that are generating my feelings. Just that alone. You know, and then they might think, was that a more better day? Yeah, that was a more better different thought. Okay, not don't don't do anything with it. Just sit with that. Just sit with that, and then once that matures and that becomes and the neuroplasticity comes into effect, because that's what they're doing, mm-hmm. right? They're changing the neural circuits in their brain. Uh, then go on to say, okay, now let me look at accepting acceptance, and how do I do that? You know, first of all, I need to surrender to the fact that these thoughts are going to occur. They're part of the human condition, right? 
at least in our in Western civilization. Um, and then I'm going to forgive myself for having them, right? And then over time, acceptance will accrete. It'll it'll build up over time. So, but I start with awareness because mm. I think I'm. I bet you dollars to donuts that most people don't know that their their feelings are bodily reactions to their mind. I bet most people don't know that. And I wasn't, you know who said that? Eckhart Tolle in The Power of Now. He said, right. <clears throat> feelings are a bodily reaction to the mind. The uh, old saying goes, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. So if it's a husband and a wife or two people in a relationship, um, and one of them is conscious of, they're, they're, they're aware of their feelings, and they're working to move towards this mm-hmm. state of appreciation. Are there little things they... Can they encourage their spouse? Yeah, yeah. I mean, and it's a, it's, it's. Uh, I guess the message would be, be gentle. In other words, because it's so easy to judge. Like I can judge my wife if I, I used to. You know. I I still occasionally judge my wife. Yeah, of course, we all do, right? <laughs> So, so, or your, or your kids, or your, I, I, I pass judgment on Centauri yeah, daily, Centauri, yeah. daily, all the time. Yeah, like, so, like ten so, seconds ago. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, um, just, just be, just, I guess I use the word arrogant. You know, don't be arrogant about it. Be, be humble. Be, be, um, be understanding that that you know we all started us. We all were acculturated in different ways, but overall. You know, we're all in this society and watching TV and reading magazines and um, our brains are all structured the same way. So be understanding, be compassionate. Because being, being compassionate with yourself, that's what I, you know, avoiding those judgments, not only of your, your loved ones and your friends or your business colleagues, but, but of yourself, being being compassionate mm-hmm. patience compassion not being too tough on people yeah because we're all on the same path at least once we're aware of it then we can get on the same path yeah the, 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 you know you ever been like years ago you guys remember um est and life spring they you guys are too young but i don't know what that is uh, they they were self-awareness trainings ah. were they good uh in some ways, I went through them. I was, you know, it's interesting. Here I was this lawyer representing large corporations. And at night, I'm going to group meeting, you know, group, I was a groupie. And this was back in the 70s, okay? So, um, yeah, there's, a, there's this, once, and once you got into, like, let's say, Esther, like, they, they actually pr- encourage you to go out and proselytize, mm. right? And spread the good news. That's the that's spread the, the gospel. So, in terms of what you asked, yeah, what, what you were asking about, you know, other people, and you're in this relationship, and you want, you've realized that the practice of contentment is really rewarding for you internally. First of all, that's going to you're going to lead by example rather than words if you do that, right? Yeah. And I think that alone will have an effect. Like I'll tell you, the men's group. You know, I process, I've 
she, they've been with me the last six, seven years as I've progressed through this, through this uh, to get to where I am now in the practice. And um, they use the terminology now. Oh, so they'll be talking about one of I'll be talking about another guy that says, "Oh, that was a more better difference," you know, or they'll, they'll it'll come. So you know, instead of trying to processize and like with my wife, you know, she knows and because you know she knows about the practice. Does she practice it the way I would want her to? Perhaps you know, not that I want her to. No, but. It, but but my by my uh, leading by example, she'll get what she wants and leave the rest. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. Leading someone to water. Yeah. And I, what I find to be attractive about the the practice of contentment, I have all the respect in the world for folks that are deeply 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 religious. Uh, the the example of Jesus Christ, certainly, mm -hmm. if, if you were to follow his example and what would Jesus do, I think that would lead you to down to, to a very similar result, the practice of Buddhism. Uh, again, I think that if you were to pursue that, you'd probably find a very similar result. Um, practice of contentment doesn't carry with it any doctrine. Um, you don't need to go to, to any kind of a meeting, so to speak. No. Um, it's something you can do on your own and, and practice at, at, at your own speed. So, It would be. Now that you said that, I mean, it would be kind of neat to have a, like, practice of contentment group where people, no leader, but where people could get together and share their their experiences with it. Right. That would be kind of neat. It'd be nice to have a community like that. Certainly. Yeah, yeah. Well, certainly people have been trying to, uh, trying to figure out how to be happy yeah. for forever. Um, and so. happiness, I, I like being happy. Sure. Happy but I know it's, it's ephemeral. <clears throat> what does ephemeral mean? Ephemeral means it's going to change, constantly change. It's there today, gone, gone tomorrow, kind of. Mm -hmm. yeah. So finding comment, or contentment, rather. Excellent. Yeah. Well, I think we talked a little bit, of, actually quite a bit, about how our listeners can can get involved in this. Um, you you are the author of a book about this? Yeah, it's called The Practice of Contentment, How to Acquire Natural Wealth. Uh, and it's on Amazon. Um, and um, I actually, I, 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 the first book I wrote on mediation, uh, I was asked to write. It was published in 2003 by a publisher in the state of Washington. Um, it's called Situational Mediation, uh, Sensible Conflict Resolution. I didn't pick the title the, uh, the publisher did. And that's about right. I'm not happy with it. <laughs> but anyway, um, this book, The Practice of Contentment, I self-published. And what I like about that is I can actually, <coughs> Amazon has a create space uh, where I published, uh, wrote, where I put, uploaded the book and all that. Right. But I can actually go in and add to and delete to the book anytime I wow. want. And then it'll whoever buys it will get the updated right away. Um, I haven't done that yet, but I'm letting myself... Because the, the Practice of Contentment was only published last 
well, a year ago last December, so right. a year ago last month. Yep. Um, so um, I'm, I'm thinking that in the future, I'm going to want to go back and add my, the, the, how should I say, the, my, mature, the, my experiences yeah. based on a mature uh, level of my ability to practice contentment. I guess that, that answers another question that I had is, do you ever really figure it out? You know, totally. No. <laughs> I know. No, I, no, I, I, it's always a process. Yeah. And also what I just heard was there's still time to get the original edition for before we wrap everything up, I think that this is such an important topic because life is not getting any easier. It's getting faster and faster and we're getting busier and busier and, Technology is is connecting us every second of every day. Yeah. So if we're not cognizant and we're not paying attention, I think it's going to eat our lunch. I think so too. And I I would you know what I've done in my personal life, and this is the fifth time in my life that I've done this. I've shut off the news. I've shut off um, reading the paper. Mm-hmm. Um, I just I'm much more content in and of it by that in and of itself. Because, you know, I'm not allowing myself to be further acculturated into this, what I think is uh, allowing myself, my predominantly unappreciative state of mind to get even more unappreciative. You know what I mean? So I would encourage people to tune out. Really. So uh, with that, but my question is, how do you keep um, contentment? from leading to complacency. Do you know what I mean? Mm. No, yeah. So it's one um, thing to say, I don't want to be, know what's going on in the world, but it's also another right. thing to say, well, then you won't be engaged or informed to do anything about what's going on in the world. Yeah, I guess the, the question I would have is, how much influence do I really have to do any, to make, hmm. to see? Okay. Now, there are people, social activists, and I admire them greatly, who are out there doing the hard work of trying to change the world, right? For me, at my age, it's gotten to the point of, I want to make my, well, let me put it this way, actually, because I don't want to make it age-specific. The more I work on myself, I believe the more the world is going to change. Because if you, if Centauri, you work on yourself, if George works on himself, and I work on myself, then you're going to influence your loved ones, right? Mm-hmm. Your friends, your colleagues. I'm going to do the same. George is going to do the same. And before you know it, that's going to grow exponentially. And there will be change in the world. Now, so I'm not saying to be complacent at all. I think that's a more direct answer to, mm-hmm. to your question. Yeah. But do the internal work. Because I think the problem, if you don't do if if I don't do the internal work, I'm really not going to... I could try and force my opinions on my judgments on somebody else, but I'm not going to really affect change unless people realize... Look, look at the Gandhi. Look at, the, look at people, uh, uh, Martin Luther King, who have really changed the world, right? It's not that, yes, a component of it was going out and demonstrating, but it, but they had to do their work first. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. No doubt. Centauri, anything else from you, sir? No, those are... Thanks for answering all my questions. Great. As our time is drawing to a close, Oliver, what else would you like to get off your chest? Uh, I'd like to get off my chest my appreciation for you two guys doing this. Um, it gave, it, I'll tell you, I'm, I'm getting a little emotional, but um, it gives me the opportunity to talk about this with open-minded people who... You know, and that's that's the that's the richness in life that I um, basically sacrifice to the altar of conditioned mind and acculturation in society. Um, and I don't I don't want to sacrifice that anymore. So if our listeners have follow up questions, which I'm sure they will, especially after this podcast, just direct them directly to you. Yeah, sure. Perfect. Sure. We will have all of Oliver's information in the show notes. Appreciate it, sir. <clears throat> there you, is a blog, uh, thepracticeofcontentment.com. I'll have that up so there. That would be a great way to... Mm-hmm. I'm looking... Yeah, I'd love people to participate in that. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe to the show and tell a friend. And as always, keep questioning because the struggle is real.